Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Hopefully, your plate has some room for leftovers, because I have a brand new helping of podcasts coming to you today. I'm going to be joined today by Arda Akal, who covers hockey for MSG, covers esports at ESPN. We're going to have a good chat this afternoon. Talk to him. Show me the money. Also back for week number 13. I had a bad week last week. Went one and two on the week. Lost to Martino in the picks. Now trail the challengers on the year. I'm going to look to get back on track in the picks this week. Stay tuned to the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're going to give you my thoughts on the movie Creed 2, which came out last week, just prior to Thanksgiving. I had a chance to check it out on Black Friday, and I have some thoughts. I'll share that with you. We're going to get everything started with today's opening tip. We're going to take a look at the Yankee offseason so far and the lack of one for the Mets. That's coming up right after this. Y'all ready for this? All right, welcome back to this week's opening tip. Last week, when I was recording the podcast, news broke. I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because I had to, hadn't seen the full details of this trade. But the off-season hot stove market, full swing for the New York Yankees. Make a big deal, acquire lefty James Paxton from the Seattle Mariners in exchange for Justice Sheffield and two other prospects. This trade, in my opinion, is an absolute home run for the Yankees. This team had very clear needs in starting pitching. And James Paxton is just as good, if not better, than any free agent option that was available right now. Paxton's a 30-year-old left-hander. He was very good for the Mariners last year. Struck out 11.7 batters per nine innings. The guy, he has some health issues. He has some struggle, he's had some struggles staying on the field in the past. But if he's healthy... Being a dominant left-hander in Yankee Stadium is a must for any rotation. The Yankees had that back in the early 2000s with Andy Pettit. They had it with CC Sabathia at the beginning of their latest run. And now, this team, they might have their lefty for at least the next two years. And you know what? Justice Sheffield, he's a good prospect. It's a tight, it's a uh, little rich cost to pay, but you know what? I'm not a big fan of prospect hugging. These guys are just prospects. At some point, some of them will help you, like Larry Torres has, like Miguel Andujar has, like Clint Frazier might this year, but you got to use some of them to help improve your team right now. And that's what the Yankees have done here. They have done a lot of things so far this winter. They brought back CC to be a fifth starter, may go to the bullpen if things break the right way. They brought back Brett Gardner, give him a valuable bench player, a guy who can be a leader on this team and be a good option in left field. They still have some needs. They need another starter, and they still need some guys in the bullpen. Remember, Zach Britton's a free agent. David Robinson's a free agent. They probably need another bat. Where that bat is, whether it's Manny Machado, whether it is Bryce Harper, whether it's a lesser quality bat like Daniel Murphy or Michael Brantley, they need one more hitter at least. But you know what? You have faith they're going to get it done. They're already looking at starting pitching. They're already in contact with Adam Adovino. They're in on Andrew Miller. They still can talk to Robertson and Britain. You know that they're going to fill these holes, and they're going to come to camp with a team that's capable of winning the World Series. That's not the case for the team across town. My New York Mets. The Mets have been very, very, very quiet this winter. 
their big moves to date? None. Today, I'm recording on Monday, they picked up Jordan Patterson off waivers in the Colorado Rockies. Exactly. No idea who this guy is. Right now, they are in on a bunch of guys, but the main drama surrounding them is whether or not they're going to trade Noah Syndergaard. There has been some thought around this team, mostly propagated by uh, SNY baseball insider Andy Martino, that the Mets are going to shop Syndergaard because they feel like they might be able to get an offer together and get some quality big league players in here to help complete, help build a more complete team. Now, on its surface, this is not a terrible idea. The Mets have been going for four years now trying to win with this dominant super rotation. And what's happened? The super rotation has not stayed healthy. The team around it has been a disaster, and they haven't won. Now, if you want to lessen your rotation a bit, say get trade Syndergaard for some elite position player talent, sign a guy like J.A. Happ or Patrick Corbett or Dallas Keuchel to replace him, you take a downgrade in the rotation for an upgrade anywhere else in the other place on the roster, it's not terrible in theory. There are cases to be made of fits that can make sense. Like the one I talked about on, on, the, on one of my blogs recently. Noah Syndergaard to the Cubs or Chris Bryant. That deal makes a lot of sense. The Cubs are a little fed up with Bryant. The Cubs are trying to extend him. He doesn't want to sign a deal. He and Syndergaard both have three years left on their, on their deals, on their team control before they become free agents. And you know what? The Mets need an impact hitter. If they don't want to pay for Manny Machado, that's a good way to get one. Now, I'm feeling all good about this. I'm starting thinking about these theories. I have this idea that I get inspired, again, by Martina on SNY, where maybe the Mets trade Brandon Nimmo to Cleveland, get Jan Gomes and a pitcher, and then trade Syndergaard for other stuff. Until Wednesday night, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm going to pick up some Chinese food. I'm driving over. I park the car, get out, see a tweet from friend of the podcast, Dan Federico, who is a is a good baseball guy. He's well connected. He is he's been in on the Yankees stuff. He had the Bryce Harper at first base possibility for them before anybody else did. He had the contract details that he offered by Washington. They got he had the 10-300 before anybody else did. So when this guy is tweeting, I'm taking what he says seriously. He tweets that the Mets have been talking to the San Diego Padres about names in a potential Syndergaard trade. And you know, I'm curious because the Padres were the team that was going after Syndergaard hard over the summer. I see that he mentions that the Mets like Manuel Margot and Austin Hedges. Just a refresher for guys, for people who are not well up on Padres baseball. Manuel Margot is a 24-year-old center fielder. He had 245, eight home runs, 51 RBIs, 141 gains for the Padres last year. Austin Hedges, he's 26. He's a catcher with good defensibility, and he's good at pitch framing. He had 231 with 14 home runs and 37 RBIs in 91 games. Those are the two guys the Mets want to be headliners in a Syndergaard trade. Now, Federico went on later and said that the Mets are not going to be able to get Fernando Tatis Jr. off San Diego. They get the Padres not even training for DeGrom, which I get that. They don't want to give him up because he could be the next Ronald Acuna Jr. or Glaber Torres. But you cannot start a trade for Syndergaard with Margot and Hedges. That's just not acceptable. This is not a, a quality return, even if you get them to throw in two prospects with them. You're basically asking for 
quality for quantity over quality again. And I'm sick and tired of the quantity over quality game. The Mets did this last winter. And they're talking about it again, how they want to spread the money around instead of going after a guy like Manny Machado, who, by the way, they're out on him. John Heyman reported last week, according to a team source, the Mets are out on Machado because he's, quote, not our type of player. Really? The guy who hits 290 with 30 homers, 120 RBIs, and plays excellent defense at two positions you need help in. He's not their type of player. Yet this team employed Jose Reyes for two and a half years. Jose Reyes, who was only a Met because he got cut by the Rockies after he was arrested for domestic violence. That guy they employ. But Manny Machado, whose worst offense is clipping a guy at first base and a couple of dirty slides... Oh, no, he's not our type of player. We can't have that kind of guy with the Mets. Are you kidding me? This is all BS. It's all about the money. They don't want to pay for top-of-the-market talent. Reyes made approximately, I'd say, about $4 million in his two and a half years in the Mets. May Machado is, is going to earn at least three hundred over ten. The Mets want nothing to do with that. The Mets, for whatever reason, don't think it's necessary to pay for top-of-the-market talent. They think they can win without it. They think they can win by developing these guys and filling in the blanks with your Todd Frazier's, your Jay Bruce's, your Anthony Swarzak's, and your Jason Vargas's. That does not work. You need to get quality baseball players in this building. The Mets don't do this enough. There's way too often where they will not go after the top guys and they'll go for their second-tier guys. The contracts blow up. And you know what? They're sitting there wondering, you know what? Why can't we We can't spend money? We don't trust these guys. They don't stay healthy. You're spending money on garbage. That's why you're getting terrible returns in these deals. The one time this team spent money in its life, recent years, in the 2005-era Mets, when Omar and I convinced the Wilpons to open the vault. They signed Pedro Martinez. They signed Carlos Beltran. Next year, they trade for Carlos Delgado. And, the ne- and they signed Billy Wagner. Four top-of-the-market players at their positions to go with the young core of Wright and Reyes and the guys they already had there. What happened? They had four winning years in a row. Suddenly, they have not come close to since. Yes, they collapsed in 08 and 09. I mean, 07 and 08, excuse me. But you know what? That team won 97 games in 2006 and was a game away from the World Series. That experience should have told you, you know what, we need to spend money on big-time players to get a chance to win in town. Another thing, Fred Wilpon has come out publicly and said, basically, he hasn't come out publicly, but there have been reports that he doesn't understand how the Yankee model works. Fred is clueless. The Yankee model does not guarantee you winning, but you know what? Having all those good players gives you a damn good chance to get to the playoffs every year. And if you're in there, you get hot, you win. How about that? That's a nice strategy. Not we're going to put together a team that can win 90 games, everything breaks right, and then we get lucky. That's not how it works. Just try to build a winner. Try. This is not hard. Spend the freaking money. I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. I'm sick and tired of the excuses why they can't have a Manny Machado, why they have to trade their 26-year-old ace for, for basically four lottery tickets. That's something the Oakland A's do. This is not the New York Mets. Come on now. All right, we will see what happens with them 
Hopefully they don't do something stupid. I'm not very enthusiastic at this point. Up next, you'll chat with Arda Cal, and you'll hear that conversation right after this. Back the other way. This could be a two-on-one. Here's Marner. Holds up. Curling flag on his backhand as a shot. They score. John Tavares. The one thing that Tavares has learned is you got to just follow number 16 around. Good things happen. Now it's Mitch Marner. Delay. You get a guy down. A second one, and then Gudis gets a bit of him. But John Tavares follows it up, gets to it first, and no chance at all for Stolarz. And Marner with yet another first assist, albeit he just got hit and lost it. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Second week in a row, we're talking some hockey, but Pete Considori is not here with me today. Marion Batiga is not here. I have somebody who is a great guest with me today. You've heard him on MSG Network if you're in the New York area. If you follow esports, you've heard him covering it for ESPN. It's the great Arda Akal. Arda, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. Any hockey fans listening to this, though, they're probably saying at this point, just end the suffering. If yeah. you're talking hockey two weeks in a row. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is not planned. It just happened to be a fortuitous <laughs> blip of scheduling. And Pete wanted to join us tonight, but like was dealing under the weather, so better off he stayed home. So before we get going, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. I started this segment, I think, I first did hockey in the podcast a couple weeks back. I talked to Pete and Mary. I asked them both for their hockey origin story. you want to tell me yours? Well, my hockey origin story is simply that I'm Canadian. Well, that's a very good origin story. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, I grew up loving hockey, uh, and you kind of have to if yeah. you uh, live in Canada, and it's part of your DNA, and you just grow up loving hockey for the majority of Canadians anyway. And uh, I played hockey. I uh, actually, for any New York Rangers fans listening to this, uh, the local team in my town of Oakville, Ontario, was called the Oakville Rangers. And a little history lesson, that is because uh, Vic Hadfield, who played for the Rangers, who will soon have his number retired at Madison Square Garden, he was from Oakville, Ontario. And after he retired, he came back to Oakville and helped establish or further minor hockey in Oakville. And so in his honor, or uh, he named some of the youth program na- uh, teams the Oakville Rangers. And it looks exactly like the Rangers logo, just different city. That's pretty cool. Like when you were like, where in Canada were you growing up? Like what, like what would like, like your closest NHL team? My closest NHL team would be Toronto. Oakville is a suburb of Toronto. Yeah. So it was about 20 minutes away, uh, a 20 minute drive, I should say. Yeah. So the Toronto Maple Leafs were definitely the closest team. Yeah, they've had a long drought without a cup. It's been and all I hear from like I know I have a friend. Just who's, end the suffering, Mike. Yeah, I have a friend who's a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, believe it or not, who actually grew up around here, and he's told me like lots of times about how like they've gone on so long without winning. So like, what's it like up there in terms of like how is that city just like dealing with the fact they haven't won a cup since the sixties? I think nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah. Uh, the year, the last year that the NHL was six teams was the year that the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup, and now they own the longest drought. I believe they're, I think it's the St. Louis Blues that also are a team that have not won the Stanley Cup since 67, but they have never won the Stanley Cup. The Leafs have not won, the, the Leafs have the longest drought, so to speak, in terms of having won the Cup and not having won. But I will say this, much like the Cubs, you saw the celebration after the Cubs won the World Series. Millions upon millions of people in the streets of Chicago. I guarantee you, knowing what I know of the city of Toronto, where I grew up, 
there will be the same amount of people celebrating a Toronto Maple Leafs victory on the streets of Toronto. The parade will be very comparable in number and size. Wow, that's impressive because the Cub parade felt like never ended. It went on for days and days and days. I guarantee you the same thing will happen in Toronto if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you mentioned you grew up in Canada. You're, it's a big hockey. Obviously, hockey's number one sport there. Like, can you give me a comparison in terms of like, is it more like hockey there? Is it more like baseball was here, like like the seventies, eighties, or is it more like football is kind of now in terms of like the level of fandom compared it compared to like Canadians hockey? I'd say that it's definitely like football here. It, it, hockey is the number one concern. Uh, let me put it to you this way: I had a Canadian hockey reporter. I was doing a lot with the Devils last season uh, in the locker room uh, often, you know, doing interviewing players, et cetera. And I'd see a lot of reporters come in, especially when Canadian teams would come in. You'd see an increase of population of reporters in the locker room simply because there are much more people covering the Canadian teams. And one thing that I found interesting was one of the reporters who covers Canadian, uh, a Canadian team said, I could actually he's a national reporter. I should qualify that. He reports nationally in Canada about hockey. He said, I could write a story on a fourth line player on a Canadian team and it would generate more interest and get more clicks in Canada than any star player in the United States. That's crazy. It it, it it's fascinating, yeah. right? Like like it just goes to show you, like for for the team specifically that you're covering right it's a fourth line player on the maple leafs just use the leafs as an example because we already talked about them you can talk about the fourth line guy or the or the bubble player that goes back and forth between the ahl the farm team and the nhl and that would generate more interest than any than the mvp of the league that happens to play on an american team that's crazy it's basically it's it's the equivalent of like 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 the like the uh trying to think of an example here like say like there's a guy on the Yankees gets called up and sent down like three or four times, like like your Tyler Wade or something like that. That basically that kind of guy gets like the all the press. more interest yeah. than than like um the best the best player on the Jays, like a Josh yeah. Donaldson yeah. or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like anything like that. It's funny. Dallas actually just left the Jays today. I think he signed at the Braves this afternoon. Really? Yeah. One, oh, I didn't hear that. One year, twenty three million dollars. Wow, bringer of rain. Yeah. Yeah. He's making it rain. The bringer of rain yeah. is making it rain. There's your headline. Yeah, he's making it rain. It's going to be against my team, unfortunately, because I'm a Mets fan. So <laughs> another reason this podcast is called Just End the Suffering. But we'll, not, we'll save the Mets for another day. I already ranted about them in the opening of this show. You so. know what I find interesting, actually? That- something. So I've lived in New York for five years now. Yeah. And I always find it fascinating that like the split of teams that you support among sports in New York, yeah. right? If you support the Mets, chances are you also support the Jets. Yeah. Not because it rhymes, but that's just like the divide yeah. that you see, right? Like Mets, Jets. Yeah, it's 100% the divide. It's usually Mets, Jets, Yankees, Giants. Why is that? I think it's just based on a Long Island thing because like both the Mets and the Jets were based in Long Island originally. So like, okay. like And also, like they were, the whole thing with the Mets was sort of like they were sort of the anti-establishment team because like after the Giants and the Dodgers left in the 60s and the, in the late 50s, the Mets came in and took their spot. So, like, in the okay. National League. So, like, and the Jets sort of came up around the same time. So, like, if you root for one, you probably root for the other one. And that makes sense because a lot of Mets and Jets fans are also Islanders fans. So, yeah. that does make sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of counter a little bit because I have Mets, Jets, but I also root for the Knicks and the Rangers. So, like, 
I kind of oh I, yeah. I, so, I, so you have you you by that logic, it would need to be Nets and well, and Nets moved recently. Right? Yeah, yeah, Nets enough. And, yeah, Nets are in Brooklyn now. Yeah, yeah, because I rooted because I I became a Ranger fan through my internship at ABC Sports, so I basically just got stuck watching Ranger games. I was with a Devil fan most of the time, and they. He asked for the Devil games. I always get these Ranger games. They always score somehow six goals in the game combined. So I was like, this is actually exciting. I'll root for these guys. Fair. Yeah. Talk about the locals a little bit. Like, I know you've been, like, a little bit on the esports scene right now. Any general takeaways from the three locals of the area, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils? Yeah. So uh, the Devils, uh, interesting. They had a fantastic year last year, uh, especially compared to their previous five before that. They didn't make the playoffs. They were at the basement of the Eastern Conference. And then all of a sudden, in comes the number one overall pick, Nico Hishier. And uh, he really settled into that team very well, especially as a top line center, which is very difficult to do. Imagine a player just being drafted, even if you're the number one overall pick and you have a lot of expectations put on you, you would still if you made the team for 82 games and played a whole season in your rookie year that would still be an accomplishment but for him to settle nicely as the number one center on that team and help lead that team to the playoffs for the first time in six years that's very impressive and to play with the eventual Hart Trophy MVP the MVP of the league Taylor Hall playing with him on the same line that to me just shows you the type of caliber, the caliber of player that you received with that pick with Nico Heischer. So, a uh, little bit of growing pains right now. Definitely goaltending uh, being a question right now. Keith Kincaid still playing fantastic with the Devils. Um, also, uh, where will this team go? You know, you're seeing ups and downs. You're seeing uh, some struggles on the road. So you wonder whether uh, this is a playoff caliber team for the second straight year. Meanwhile, the Rangers look like they're overperforming. Right? Like. The Rangers fan base, from everyone that I've talked to, just resigned to the fact that this team is just going to not make the playoffs and get a good pick in the in the draft next year again. But then, all of a sudden, you have Lundqvist and Nett standing on his head, what else is new? And then you have these core of young players that are really playing well. And then all of a sudden, you have a team that's contending and actually are in playoff contention right now. And this is the... We're at the time of year, Mike, where... The quarter pole. The quarter pole and the, the the Thanksgiving, right? Like yeah. people call it the the Thanksgiving rule. Yeah. In a, in a, the the funny rule that people say it's well, if the team is in the playoffs at, by the Thanksgiving mark, seventy eight percent of the time they're making the playoffs in the NHL. Well, guess what? The Rangers are in the playoffs. So, yeah. I what do you say to that? Islanders too, in that regard. Nobody thought they'd be there, be there at Tavares leaving. They, and they and they've and they've performed better than expected too. People, many people thought they'd be in the basement of the of the conference. Now they're not necessarily in a in a playoff position per se, but uh, they're definitely uh, turning some heads as well. Matt Barzell is fantastic. Yeah. He won Rookie of the Year for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this at Pete last week, the Thanksgiving uh, checkpoint or whatever. He was not put. He didn't put big stock in this because he's because he's a believer in the whole like. Yeah, you played a quarter season, but there's still three quarters to go, and like there's so much that could happen between like somebody get injured, you get traded, hit a slump. Yeah. Do you buy the Thanksgiving quarter poll thing? I mean, 78% is an impressive number, but I believe it for teams. Let me put it this way. I believe it for teams that you would have already assumed would make the playoffs anyway. I believe it for teams like the San Jose Sharks or like... Nashville, Nashville, the Nashville yeah. Predators, yeah. or the Tampa Bay Lightning, or the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, yeah. We, we, they are projected, unless barring some unforeseen circumstance and some really, really bad luck, chances are these teams are making the playoffs. And you can confidently say that right now. Yeah, because I was curious about that because I see like 
I look at the standings like, recently. I'm like surprised the, the Pittsburgh Penguins like won the, the Cup a couple of years in a row. Or like I think like, two years in a row before last year. Now they're towards the bottom of the Metro. And like I'm like I don't buy that rule with the Penguins. I feel like they're gonna get back there. But the thing is, is that the people just don't realize like. like they played so many games. How yeah. many more? They played essentially and in almost an entire season more than many of these teams. Like the Buffalo Sabres are a great team right now, but how many years have they missed the playoffs? A lot. So how many games, how many days extra have those players been able to rest? Meanwhile, Sidney Crosby and Matt Murray and whoever, uh, Malkin and whoever else on that team, Phil Kessel, think about all how many players on that squad have played, say, an extra average 15 to 25 games extra on top of the regular season for several years. Yeah. What does that do? Like, what what wear and tear does that add to an athlete? Oh, I think I can actually buy that argument because especially, like, as a Ranger fan, I remember back, like, when they had those deep runs all those years in a row, you could see what it did to, like, Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl because they've never been the same player since those runs. Right. Yeah. I, I, out of curiosity, who do you think is the best team in the league right now? Probably Tampa. Yeah. Well, actually, Vasilevsky went down to injury, right? Yeah. So, with Vasilevsky, you'd have to give it to Tampa. They they just have a, a fantastic core. The Predators have a stunning defense, though. It's just so good. And then Eric Carlson with the Sharks. It's just, yeah, there's so many so many picks there. Yeah. But you you got to throw Toronto in there, too. Just the, the problem is the defense. Like the, yeah. the defense might be a little light, but you got Freddie Anderson, who's performing fantastic right now. And you have the best offense in the NHL, probably, Tavares, Matthews. Marner, if Nylander returns, so th- th- those are, those would be my picks in there. That th- those are the solid picks among the league, though. Yeah, there's a lot of fascinating stories of hockey, but I just one thing I don't get is like this sport just does not take off in you in the U.S. at all because I feel like it's clearly number four in the pecking order behind the other three big three MLB and, and NFL. Sometimes NBA. not even fourth. Yeah, sometimes not even fourth because you have like MLS, you have NASCAR, you have all these other sports going on. Like, why do you think it just doesn't take off in this country? I have a theory on this. I have a theory that if America is not the best at that sport, it does not become a pop culture level sport or interest. Baseball, America is the best. American football, not soccer, America is the best. Basketball, Basketball, America is the best. So, but they've also been the best for, for, for as long as the game has existed. America essentially invented the game or it was invented in America and they perfected the game and made it popular and their America's athletes are the best in 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 hockey you have Canada who is a neighboring country who essentially made like at one point the NHL was what 95% Canadian I mean this is a long time ago but Still, right? Yeah. So now I could see a day where hockey becomes more popular. But the other thing is that hockey is very expensive. Think about it growing up, right? Equipment, have to change equipment. And it's not easy to find ice, yeah. ice time. I, I remember, even me, I remember waking up at 4 a.m. to go to 6 a.m. practice, yeah. right? And that's in Canada yeah. where there's like a rink every two blocks. Yeah. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think these things contribute to to a, a big factor in why it's not as popular. Because I do believe, contrary to all that, I do believe that hockey is the most exciting sport to watch live. But I also will say that hockey is n- the 
the difference between the excitement live and the excitement watching it on television, I believe there's a, a bigger drop there than in other sports. I would rather watch football on television than watch it live. I would rather watch hockey live than on television. I agree with that. That's because I've been to I've been to like hockey game live. I've been to hockey playoff games live, and the atmosphere is so incredible, like in the building compared to like watching on your TV. It's like such a big difference. My opinion, I think there's two things. I think they hurt the game in America. I think the first one is is that like, like you said, the whole thing about like it's not of American like stars, and that's like the NHL is a hard time marketing. Like you know, like Crosby is Canadian, like Malkin is Russian, like. I don't feel like they have like a true American like top of the game player that can sort until of, Austin Matthews until Austin Matthews raises the Stanley Cup maybe that's going to change things yeah that's one thing I think the other thing I think is it's highly regionalized in the U S because like it's big in the Northeast it's big in like Minnesota Detroit but like I don't know why like it's like they they're spending so much time trying to put the game down south in like Tampa Carolina and these markets that like don't want clearly are not showing an appetite for hockey. I, I, they're not showing an app, as much of an appetite in hockey as other places. And yes, this is a big argument in the hockey community, right? Like, why not a team in Quebec City? Why not a second team in Toronto? Why not more teams in Canada? Because they can clearly sustain, right? Like, yep. they're, they're going to get bigger uh, uh, attendances than markets that currently exist. And that might be the case, but that mentality... I would love to see a league where those cities exist and the expansion or the non-traditional, quote-unquote, non-traditional hockey markets exist. I would like to see that because I do believe that there are certain situations where with enough time, a, a team can certainly flourish and grow. Now, some situations don't work. Maybe, uh, you know, we look at uh, certain markets and you say, well, you know, it's been a long time and, and it's not... You know, you're not seeing packed houses, so what's the problem? Is it the team, or is it the market itself? Yeah, I think especially like Arizona, I think fits in that mar- in that category because I just feel like with, I know what the NHL is trying to do is they're trying to make sure it's not entirely like, east skew when they try and split the thing regionally. But like, at some point, I think you got to call a spade a spade and just kind of move on to a market that's more ready for hockey. Hmm. Yeah. My next question: like, We talk a lot about hockey. You also do a lot of esports. I, I know it's one of the biggest exploding sports in this country. Like, can you explain to me like what I am missing? I just don't get the appeal to esports. Well, it's definitely uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. The entire uh, the the entire idea of esports is fascinating. Where video game developers now are, especially if they want to create competitive esports titles. It's not about video games used to be in the 80s, especially or in its uh, infancy used to be about creating something that's fun to play. Right. Yeah. Video games were seen as a hobby, as something that you pass the time with. Maybe you play with your friends and family. You play on your own. You know, it's fun to play it. You might sit with your uh, someone and watch them play, but that's what they were. They were just something to pass the time, a toy, if you will, a different, a different form of a medium of entertainment. And that still exists today. A lot of people, many people play video games for fun. But now there's an ecosystem of people wanting to see the very best at a video game compete against each other. And that has become a totally new form of competition that people enjoy. And so that is what esports is. Esports is simply taking a video game with two people who can be competitive in a video game or more. It could be teams as well and seeing who's the best and people video game developers going back to my previous point it's not uh, especially competitive esports it's not so much about is the t- is the game fun to play it's is the game fun to watch 
can I watch this game and be invested in watching it as a spectator as opposed to an active viewer? And, and, and the fun of it is the, the most popular esports titles are League of right now, today, League of Legends, Dota 2, uh, what else would I put in that? Overwatch, definitely. And those are fantasy-based games, right? First-person shooters or like a mystical capture the flag five-on-five. So you have some sort of easy objective that you can understand, and there are teams of five competing against each other. And the art looks great. The graphics are wonderful. The gameplay is easy to follow in most parts, for for the most part. And there's a lot different. There's a lot of things happening. They're very complex games. So there's different characters. There's different move sets. There's different, uh, you know, that that kind of thing that contributes to. A fascinating scenario and these players playing them as well you think it's also partially made it like i know it's very popular with like the younger generation like more millennials like like they say more like the 18 to like 20 like maybe like i want to say 13 to like 23 i would say probably is, is that a good guesstimate for like the age maybe range? maybe older a little bit older i think the average viewer age is maybe 29 i didn't know it was that high that's definitely higher but yes you're right it's it's definitely the younger generation and and look even even sports simulators are becoming like you have a Madden league, you have an NBA 2K league, you have an NHL gaming championships, which I do play by play for. And I would say that a lot of, uh, you know, it's its own esports ecosystem, right? Like its own tournament and people are enjoying it and watching it and people are competing and, and there's money involved. And remember, that's a big thing, right? Like investors are coming in into esports teams, leagues, franchises, merchandise, etc. Like they, it's already here. For people that are sort of late to the game, like you've already sort of missed the early adoption stage. We are we're here now with esports. Esports has become a thing, and I think that I know that there's a lot of debate about like is esports a sport? Why is the word sport in esports? And and they 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 show they they're they're quick to open up the dictionary and look up sports and say, look, there has to be a physical component to this. Yeah. This is not a sport. You can say something about poker, and poker exploded. Right. I think that esports is, well, I think esports will have a longer longevity than poker simply because esports has many different games that you can choose from. Esports is a blanket term for every title. It's not just Overwatch, it's League of Legends, it's Madden, it's 2K. That's all under the umbrella of esports. So for that reason, I think there will always be an appetite to watch people competitively play video games. I think that that's here to stay. And the, the, the investments and the, and the viewership shows that. But I think the word sports just needs an update in definition if you're going to include esports. But I also say that I don't think esports needs that validation. I think it's its own successful entity and it doesn't need, you know, the validation of people saying, yes, it is a sport because it's its own thing. It's a hybrid. It can, it can, it can exist perfectly fine as a hybrid gaming competitive sort of mix that skirts the definition of traditional sport yeah i mean we're, we live in a world now where i think si a couple months ago published an article on a competitive air guitar or something like that so i mean i feel like if they can publish air guitar that sounds I feel awesome like, i feel like esports should be getting its attention <laughs> in sports illustrated soon yeah right yeah one last thing i feel like with that i think the thing that i feel like i guess my takeaway is a sort of like I feel like in terms of like the younger audience watching it, I feel like there's more relatability to like the esports players as opposed to like when you're watching like Mike Trout hit a baseball, you're like, I can't do that. Whereas like if you see like some guy playing like like League of Legends, you say, Oh, I could do that. Like I feel like that sort of like brings them closer to the athletes, both like in terms of the traditional sports. Whereas like 
the old generation was more like, oh, I played softball as a kid, so like I played, I can see this. Now it's more like I'm playing video games with my friends. I can play relate to the video gamers. I think that the barrier to entry with video games or competitive esports seems lower than it actually is, but it's very high. Having played against the best of the best, there's no way that I would ever even come close to that level ever. Even even 10 levels below that, not a chance. Even if I played eight hours a day for the next five years, there's no way that I would get to that level of competition simply because I've never, it's it, it, even a matter of training your nervous system to react a certain way, you know, like reaction times, et cetera. There's no way I'd be able to do that. But it does, you're right. It's just someone sitting in a chair with a controller or a keyboard and a mouse in front of them and a, and a monitor, and they're playing a video game. And everyone can do that, right? Like, yep. it, you, it, it's very relatable. You can do that. I can do that. Well, what we don't realize is we can't do it at that level, but we can imagine that we can. Or, or we can imagine it easier than playing competitive hockey or playing competitive baseball or basketball. Yeah, like, I, in terms of, like, 10 years from now, you think, like, esports is going to be on a level with, like, let's say, like, where, like, MLS is right now in this country. You think it'll be there or, like, higher than that? So in a couple years or maybe even a year from now, Overwatch is going to be the first league to have home and away games. So you're going to see, right now, they do all of their games in one location for the first season of Overwatch League, and I believe the second season will be the same as well. But they have city teams. So they have, like, the Los Angeles Valiant and the Toronto Defiant and... Uh, the the London Spitfire. So these are global teams. The Shanghai Dragons. Like they, these are teams around the world that are congregating in one city to play their games. But soon it's going to be home and away games. So you're going to see teams go on tour in Asia, etc. And it's going to be they're going to build bases. Now will they be able to sell out Madison Square Garden every single game? Maybe not. NYXL being the local New York team. Maybe not at first. In 10 years, 15 years. Who knows? The other thing that I think esports is going to see as a challenge, though, is at, there definitely is a shelf life in terms of the interest of the game of the ta- of the title itself. So, will in in seven years' time or ten years' time, will Overwatch still be a top tier esport? Chances are, maybe not. Ten years ago or fifteen years ago, StarCraft was one of the biggest esports around, and right now it's barely. Uh, talked about in, in in the top esports circles. It's seen in BlizzCon every year, but it's not among the top esports in the world, right? Will League of Legends continue as such in the next ten years? Will Dota two continue as such in the next ten years? We don't know. So esports will grow as a general blanket competitive gaming uh, definition will grow, but the titles might very well change. All right, I know you got to run. Thanks for all the time. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Before you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on Twitter and some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm at ArtoCalTV on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on MSG Networks. You'll see me on the MSG 150 every now and then on Rangers broadcasts, uh, maybe on some Devils broadcasts too. And then on uh, ESPN, uh, maybe some future e- uh, esports coverage. But you can find all of that on my Twitter. All right, cool. I do follow you on Twitter. I think a lot of fun stuff there. So thanks again, Arta. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Arctic Cal talking hockey and esports. Up next, showing the money NFL picks week number 13 coming up right after this. Show me the money. Money! 
All right, and we're back. Just end the suffering podcast. Show me the money. Week number 13. Hard to believe the NFL season is winding down. Just five weeks to go. The challenge is tight. Team challenges a new representative today. Joining me, longtime friend of mine, Joe Chaffee. Joe, how are you doing today? Mike, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm glad to hear that. Before we get started, what kind of fan are you? I am a Tennessee Titans fan, Michael. How did you become a Tennessee Titans fan growing up in the New York area? So my dad and my brother were Cowboys fans growing up, and they still are. And um, I just couldn't really get behind the Cowboys for whatever reason. So as a child, you know, I still play video games because I'm a grown child. And Madden 99, the Tennessee Titans, Eddie George, Steve McNair, Frank Wycheck, Javon Kurt, fell in love with that team, and I've uh, been a fan ever since. That's interesting. You're like the third guest in a couple of weeks now who's pointing to Madden as their inspiration for their current football team. I mean, they are the most irrelevant franchise in sports. Uh, they have very few fans. They are the, the definition of mediocrity in many ways. But, you know, maybe one day they'll be halfway decent and uh, I have a football team that I think can actually win anything. I don't think they're there yet. Yeah, I thought they were halfway decent this year. I mean, they had that nice winning streak where they uh, toppled the they toppled the Patriots in the end of it. And then the last two weeks, they've gotten blown out. They got The Colts wrecked them in Indianapolis two weeks ago. And then Monday night, they lost the, tight, the Texans in Houston. How concerned are you about the losing streak right now, bringing them back to 500? Um, I mean, I don't think they're really a legitimate contender anyway. So if they go on a little run and make the playoffs, that's great. If they end up losing some games and moving up in the draft, I'm happy with that too. Um, I think they're they're on the right path, but they're not there yet. So um, now if they make the playoffs, are they going anywhere? I don't think so. So at the end of the day, if they lose some games and, and move up in the draft, I'm okay with that because big picture, I think that would be better for the team in the future. Yeah, one of the big questions they have to figure out right now is whether or not they have a franchise quarterback in Marcus Mario. It's his fourth year in the league. I mean, Monday night he had statistically a decent game. He went 22 of 23 for 303 yards and two touchdowns, but I feel like he wasn't making a lot of big plays. Am I wrong here? I feel like I don't know what whether or not he's the guy with them. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's anything more than that. Um, you know, you see flashes, and he just doesn't take that next step. Um, you know, he did you know, take them to some playoff wins uh, last season. They were competitive with New England for like a quarter, and then New England became the Patriots and pulled them out. But I think Mariota is good. You can see why he was a high draft pick. Do I think he's a Super Bowl quarterback? I personally don't. Um, I think he's a guy that can get you the playoffs. I don't think he's a guy that can win you anything once you get into the playoffs. Um, if they build a defense around him, um, you know, the defense could lead them places, but I don't think he's a guy that will put on an offensive display and really, really put you over the top and steal a game as a quarterback. I don't see that from him. I, I think you know, he has the arm strength. He, he's mobile. Um, there's just something not there. Yeah. Not yet at least. Yeah, I can see that point. I mean, they got a chance to rebound this week. They play they play my team, the Jets, on Sunday. What are your expectations heading into that game? Well, it's interesting because I remember the last time – I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the last time the Titans played in New York. The Titans and the Jets were both very bad, and the winner of that game essentially was going to move up in the draft and out of the Mariota slot. Um, so Tennessee lost that game to kind of get Mariota. Um so, I mean, I would expect the Titans to win. If I was a Jets fan, 
Um, I'd be rooting for the Jets to lose that game. I think you want to move up in the draft and build around Darnold. Um, I think the Jets had their quarterback. I, I think Darnold's fantastic. Um, and now you can build around him. So I would expect Tennessee to win this game. I, I would. Uh, but, you know, given how inconsistent they've been, would it shock me if the Jets beat them? Not really. Uh, but I, I thought as a betting man without any point spreads, a straight win loss, I would take Tennessee. Yeah, I think Tennessee's going to win this football game. Sam Darnold did practice today. We're recording on Wednesday, so we got a limited practice, and he should be on track to come back in this game. So hopefully this will be a good test for him against that Titan defense, which is pretty good. The Titans defense is good, and Mike Vrabel is a coach there, so obviously um, he, he's got such a pedigree of de- great defense with the Patriots. Um, they're, they're, they are a defensive-minded football team, um, and that, 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 that is a good test for Mr. Darnold. I, I, I can see uh, – I, I don't know if it will be a very high-scoring game. No, if Mariota is on, it could be. If, if he's off and he just has no idea what's going on, I can see that being a low-scoring game. Okay, so let's go on to the picks. Last week, Martina Puccio was here for Team Challengers. He went 2-1. and one. He lost with the Falcons, plus 13. Barely missed that one. They lost by 14 points, so he almost didn't cover the number. He won with the Giants, plus 6. They were in, leading that game most of the way. Lost to the Eagles on a last-minute field goal. And he bet the Browns, plus 3. Won that outright because the Browns jumped out to that huge lead, and then they took everything away. On the... On my side, not as well. Went one and two on the week. Lost with the Redskins, plus seven and a half because the Dustin Hopkins missed that PAT. That was a killer. Lost on the Steelers, laying three and a half. They lost the game outright in Denver. I did win with Tampa Bay, laying three points against San Francisco. Won that game handily. So on the year, team challengers, 18, 16, and two. I am 18, 18. So basically one game separating us in the standings. Joe, since you are the guest, you may pick first. And where are you going with your first pick? Well, well we mentioned before uh, that my brother and my dad are Cowboys fans. So I'm actually going to take the Cowboys this week. They are at home. They're getting seven and a half. Um, I know they're playing the Saints. I think the Saints are a fantastic football team. But I don't see the Cowboys losing that game by more than seven and a half at home. I think the Saints will win that game. I think it's going to be a close game. I can see that argument because the, especially with the way that the Saints have been playing lately, they're due for a close game. Atlanta was in there for a little bit, but Dallas is playing very well. I think they can easily get that in that game. And if they get a good effort out of Cooper and like, again, who I'm playing against in the fantasy, so I hope it's not the case, but I think they can win that. I think they can be right there. I like that. And they're playing for the playoff spot. They know now that with Alex Smith out, the division is there. If they, they, they are in the driver's seat to make their ticket to the playoffs. So I really think that they're at home. I don't see the Cowboys getting blown out here. I can see New Orleans winning for sure. By more than seven and a half, I'm going to say no. Okay, where are you going with your next pick? Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to take a little trip down south to Jacksonville, and I'm going to take Daniel Martini's Indianapolis Colts against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars are a plus four. Um, but without Blake, I mean, the quarterback situation is a disaster. The Colts are playing very good football right now. I think the Colts are going to Jacksonville. I think they're winning by more than four points. Oh, for sure. I think the Colts have been the hottest team in the league right now. I think they could easily run their way to that wild card spot. And the Jags have just been a dumpster fire since they went for that two against the Jets. Everyone since. Yeah, I mean, their defense is obviously good. Um, but Andrew Locke looks to be every bit of what he's been. 
They're playing well on offense. I don't see this. I don't see this being a four-point game. And I, I don't think. I know the Colts' defense isn't very good, but the Jaguars' offense to me is worse. And Leonard Fournette probably isn't going to play. So I, I think that we're looking at a pretty handle win here for the Colts. Yes, Leonard Fournette suspended for that game on Sunday, so the Jaguar running game is down to TJ Yeldon and Carlos Hyde, so I'm not expecting... And Hyde's done absolutely nothing since coming over from the Bears. The Browns, the Browns. Yeah, great trade by the Browns there. Where are you going with your final pick of the week? And uh, I, I'm going to go from one friend to another friend. I know he's never been on the show, uh, but Gerard Pedro is a big Steelers fan, and the Steelers are uh, getting three and a half points at home against the Chargers, but I'm going to take the Chargers here. I, I think... I know that they're without Mr. Gordon, but the Chargers are playing very good football. Uh, they're going for a playoff spot. I think they're going to Pittsburgh. I think they're going to beat them. Roethlisberger always kind of has that one game where he just thinks, I think this is the week. I, I think I don't see it this week for, for, the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Brave man going that game because I have no idea what to make of the Chargers because they're, they have a couple of – they've lost the two of the best teams in the league this year. They had a bad loss to the Broncos a couple of weeks ago. Now to, they have the – Basically, go on the road again and go east where they don't do very well. I I respect your gut, but I wouldn't go anywhere near that game. That was me. Oh, well, the thing is that if you look at the Chargers, they've actually only lost one game on the road this year, so they haven't been that bad on the road. Um, it's a risky game, but my, I was looking at the games and my gut just said take this game. So I'm gonna go with my gut. If I lose one game, I think I'm most likely to lose this game. But you got you gotta have a little bit of fun here. I'm gonna take the Chargers. Okay, I, I agree with that sentiment. Let's start, go to my picks. Pick number one, taking the Denver Broncos, laying five in Cincinnati this week. Bengals are a mess right now. Their defense is in shambles. Andy Dalton's now out for the year, so they're starting Jeff Driscoll, a quarterback. And Who? Yeah, exactly. Jeff Driscoll starting a quarterback for the Bengals this week. Denver is red All right. hot. Yeah. Denver red hot, won two in a row against two playoff teams in Sandy, in, against the Chargers and the Steelers. I think they were primed to go on a run of their own. That's to continue here. They're winning by at least a touchdown in Cincinnati. That's a good one. Okay, pick number two. I'm going with the New England Patriots, laying five points at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings coming off that big win on Sunday Night Football against the Packers, but I don't think they're that good. I think they have been exposed against better teams this year, and going on the road to New England is never easy. I don't think Kirk Cousins got a good game there. The Pats gave their C-minus effort against the Jets last week and beat them. I think they got up their game. They, the number is doable at five. I think they win by a touchdown. I'll take New England. Um, well, I don't know what I don't know. I, I've always been a believer in Kirk Cousins. I know a lot of people are up and down in him. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. Um, going into New England is going to be tough, but he w- is from Washington. It's not like he's not used to playing in the cold. So you've seen him do it before. But I mean, New England should win that game at home. Absolutely. Okay, that's pick number two. Pick number three. I'm going a place I haven't gone very often this year. I'm taking my Jets with the seven and a half points against your Titans on the road. I feel <laughs> like I feel like that this game, they just have a feeling for some reason they're going to come out. They're going to play very well in this football game because don't know why. Darnell coming back is going to help. I feel like the Titans are not an overwhelming team that they're going to blow them out. I feel like if they win that game, it's going to win by like a touchdown because the Jets might backdoor cover that game. I think I'll take the Jets in my seven and a half points. Take my chances there. Well, Tennessee's been so inconsistent. Um, no, as we talked about before, so that 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 if if they show up and give their a effort, it's not going to be close. But we've seen Tennessee come out this year and give some B minus C plus effort, and therefore I think you would win if you get one of those efforts. 
Yeah, plus I like the idea that I feel like the Jets are prime for all those games where they're getting blown out and then they score a touchdown late and then they cover the numbers. I feel like I, that could be the case here as well. That's very realistic. Yeah. All right, so recap the picks. Joe has gone with the Cowboys getting 7.5 at home against the New Orleans Saints tomorrow night. The Indianapolis Colts laying four in Jacksonville against the Jaguars. And the Chargers getting 3.5 points in Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football. I've gone with the Denver Broncos laying five in Cincinnati against Jeff Driscoll and the Bengals. The Patriots laying five at home against the Minnesota Vikings. And the Jets as seven and a half point underdogs on the road in Tennessee this week. Those are your picks for week number 13 of Show Me the Money. Joe, before you go, I know you're, sure. a, I know you're a big Yankee guy. I am. What is your take on these Robinson Cano rumors? I think it's a, a big mistake um, if the Yankees go anywhere near him. Um, I, I'm not disputing the talent of Robinson Cano, but he's got five years left in his contract, and he's 36 years old. Uh, so I really don't want Cano age 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40. Um, Jacoby Ellsbury, the contract is a disaster, but there's only two more years left. And to take three extra years of Cano, um, I just don't see how that's feasible. The only way I could see it is if um, the Mariners include Diaz, uh, not Justin, um, but if they include their closer, or if they kick in enough money where maybe it's $10 million a season where the Yankees are only paying Cano a minimal salary. I, I just don't see – I don't see the Yankees making that move. Um, I, I think, you know, between, I guess Cano could play second. Again, how many more years will he have? He could play first. The Yankees do need some left-handed hitting, so it does fit on paper. I just wouldn't take a bet on five more years of Robinson Cano being a productive player in the major leagues. Yeah, I feel like it's more like he's getting up on my team, the Mets. I feel like they're more motivated to make a deal like that, and I feel like they have like more interesting pieces to try and shift back and try and get Diaz with them in that trade. I feel like that's the more likely scenario here. And if, but I'll ask you, as you're the Mets, as a Mets fan, do you want five more years of Robinson Cano? It depends on what I think. It's more like an ideal circumstance kind of deal, whereas like. If I get them to kick in money, if they take Jay Bruce back, if I can get Diaz off them, if they can do all of that, fine, I'll take Cano because he's a big upgrade over what I have right now on this team because Bruce is not a good fit on the roster anymore. And Cano offers a different skill set, which I think they need on that on that offense. And would you play Cano at first or second? Where would you put him in the infield? I would put him at second base for now and, and make McNeil more of a utility guy for now and put him with a tune at third with Frazier, give him some time at first. He said on WFAN today, Mike Francesa, he can play the outfield a little bit, just b- bounce him around, have him be that Ben Zopers kind of guy for them. Um, and, and for one thing for sure, um, it would bring a little bit of juice to the Mets organization, which I think they need. Uh, again, if it's my team, I'm not taking a gamble on Robinson Cano for five more seasons. If Cano and Ellsbury had each two years left, absolutely I'm in on that. I think Cano for two more years or three more years is okay. Um, I, I think five more years of Cano is a bad idea. Unless, again, the Mariners are throwing in enough money where it, it just makes sense where you have to do it, or Diaz or Dean Segura, if you can swing something like that. Um, either the sweetener or the money has to be with that to make it feasible. All right, there you have it. Your thoughts on Robinson Cano. Before we go, do you want to let the fine listeners of this, of this podcast know how to follow you on social media in case they want to know what you're up to? Sure. Um, if anyone wants to contact me, I am J underscore Choppy on Twitter. Uh, it's a lovely picture of me in a pink button-up shirt, so that's how you know you have the right guy, and a, a Yankees thing in the background. I used to have a Hulk Hogan 
background. Um, but uh, a few years ago, he said some comments weren't the best thing for his career. So I, I changed my background to no one thought I was right. You want to give everybody a spelling of that last name in case you don't know it offhand? Uh, J underscore C I O F F I. C as in cat, I O F F, Frank Frank, not Sam Sam, and I at the end. All right, there you go. Joe, thanks for the time. Oh, thank you, Mike. Have a great day, my friend, and we'll be watching Sunday. We'll see what happens. Indeed, we do. We will. That was Joe Chaffee. Let's go Rangers. <laughs> Let's go Rangers. That was Joe Chaffee, week 13 picks. Show me the money up next. Our two-minute drill with my review of the great movie Creed 2 coming back right after this. All right, and we're back with this week's two-minute drill. Black Friday, I decided not to be one of those crazy people running to Walmart trying to buy a big TV or trying to get all my Christmas shopping done on one day. I said, you know what? I'm going to take it easy. Go in the movies. Going to go see Creed 2. In case people don't know, I'm a big fan of the Rocky film franchise. Was pleasantly surprised when Creed came out in 2015. That movie was very good. I had was looking forward to a sequel, but when I saw the direction Creed 2 was going, I had some concerns. First of all, the fact that Ryan Coogler, the director, had to move on to his other commitments. And Ryan Coogler was a big reason why that first movie was so good. He directed, in case people aren't aware, this is the same director who directed Black Panther. That guy is phenomenal. And Creed 2 did suffer a bit without Coogler being around. That being said, I still think this movie was very good. I think they did some very good things here. I was skeptical about the angle of bringing back Ivan Drago. I get the backstory. All you Rocky Four fans know the backstory of how Ivan Drago killed Creed in Rocky Four, and then Rocky went to Russia and beat him in front of the uh, Politburo. But bringing him back here, bringing those families back together, I thought was interesting. And what they did with Drago and his character was very interesting. They gave you enough of him so you could see his motivation. You could see his relationship with his son, Victor, who is Adonis Creed's main rival in the movie. And he actually has a very interesting arc that progresses throughout the movie. I don't want to spoil it for any of you who have not seen the movie yet, but it w- I was pleasantly surprised at the direction they took that character. For a guy who was basically a cartoon character in Rocky IV, who spoke like maybe 10 words, basically a, a doped-up Russian like boxing superstar... They took that guy, gave him some depth, gave him a nice arc to follow, and they spent a lot of time with him. It's well-earned, and at the end of the movie, you will see why. While Drago has a pretty big part in this movie, Sylvester Stallone takes a step back. At the beginning of the movie, he's still training Creed. Rocky has a disagreement with Creed about the whole idea of fighting Drago's son. Rocky doesn't think he has too much to lose, will not train for the first fight, so he's out of the movie for a while. You know what? I think that was a good choice. Even though people love Rocky, remember, this is not Rocky Eight. This is Creed Two. Adonis Creed's the main character. Rocky's a good supporting character at this point, and it's good for them to let him take a backseat a bit and make this more about Creed. And he had a nice arc in the movie, Rocky. Nice cameo at the end from somebody we haven't seen in a while. 
and it was a nice way to see his story go. As far as the main characters go, Michael B. Jordan, again, excellent performance as Creed. Tessa Thompson stepped up as Bianca, uh, Creed's girlfriend, eventually wife. And this movie actually worked a lot better than I thought it would. Considering they were running the risk of going down the Drago rabbit hole, they could have made it very contrived, very, you know, like, what's the word I wanted to use? Very cliched. But they played it out very well. Now, they left, the way they leave things is very open-ended. I think, based on the positive reviews, based on the good box office, we will get a Creed 3 down the line, but I would be very, very careful how they pursue a Creed 3. We got by on Rocky Nostalgia in 1, that's what we needed to sell this movie. Got by on it in, two, in Creed 2, because of the whole Drago angle, but at some point, you cannot keep relying on these rocking tie-ins for your opponents. I mean, I don't want this to be Rocky three, uh, Creed 3, where Clubber Lang's son comes and fights uh, on his Creed. I don't need that. I don't need some sort of ghost related to Tommy Gunn and the abomination that was Rocky Five showing up. We don't need any of those things. No Mason Dixon cameos. Just come up with a good original angle for Creed 3. And that means you wait a little longer for it. That's fine. Don't make that movie unless you have a good idea for it. Making it for simply a cash grab will kill the franchise again, much like Rocky V did for a while. And at this point, it is the Creed franchise. It's no longer just a Rocky franchise. We move past it with this movie. And it's got a chance to grow on its own in the future. They need to let it do that. Keep Rocky around. You can start phasing him out a bit as the movies go on, but this is Creed's franchise now. Be very careful what you do going forward with it. All right, and that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guests, Arda Akal and Joe Chaffee, for stopping by to talk some hockey and make some NFL picks on this week's edition of Showing the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, if you want more good stuff like this podcast, including a look at what we should make of the New York Rangers' hot start of the season, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in either the podcast store or the Google Play Music section. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings. I'll make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag Oakville Rangers if you made it to the end of today's show. Next week, I got another good show for you. Matt Rumack, our fantasy guy. We talked to Matt back in the summer, previewing the fantasy football season. Playoffs are here. Matt's back. He's going to give you some strategies on how to get through the playoffs, how to win your league, all of that good stuff, and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than the New York Giants fans. Gonna fly.